are listening to XP Hunter. Welcome back, Hunters. It's your friend, Amelie. And, you know, we're back here at the Hunters Guild, you know, chilling, relaxing. I'm glad that you uh, decided to come back. And today, you know, I am, I mean, I understand the importance of Black History Month and I wholeheartedly believe in it. I mean, Black History is really made every day, but it is cool when, you know, someone's pointing out like great things about you every day. It's nice. It gives you the warm fuzzy sometimes. So I just thought that, you know, I, I dedicate an issue to uh, some really cool uh, black superheroes. And one of the things that we come that I end up talking about in the podcast uh, quite a few times uh, or very often, I should say, rather, is um, black people and uh, their presence in in creative works in um, media and so especially in comic books right like popular culture uh if you don't know or if your head is kind of uh under a rock or whatever a lot a lot of parts of popular culture have been heavily influenced by uh black people not just you know your, your music industry you know your rap your blues your jazz and rock music and stuff like that but also a lot of artwork um uh tropes that we use in in um creating art uh, and and the likes dancing uh, they're just you know this is a, a whole world full of people and everyone touches a little bit of everything uh, but I think that sometimes uh, a lot of people don't get credit or they don't get uh, uh, they don't get the advertisement or the accolades that they should get for their contribution to certain things so uh, as you know in April which is not that far away now uh, there's going to be a comics and color convention the very first one the annual one hopefully it will be annual I should say and it's going to be uh, at RCC here in um, Boston and I'm super excited um, because it's going to feature artists and uh, comic artists and, and the like and cosplayers and all that stuff who are people of color and uh, in the comics industry uh, people of color not have been put by the wayside, but they don't get as much exposure as like white uh, uh, comic book uh, characters. And I mean, that's obviously a uh, reflection. Like I keep telling you, art in, in creative works are a reflection of who we are uh, at the time that they're created. So obviously comic books are a reflection of that very same, um, that very same, Along that very same line is that, you know, people write what they know and most of the comic artists or people who uh, found their way into the industry in doing those things were white. And so they drew white characters because that's what they knew. Uh, but again, like, so like, let's highlight some um, characters of color. And so obviously, like I have to point out, uh, everyone pretty much knows Jon Stewart. He is uh, technically, chronologically, the second Green Lantern to ever be created. Uh, he leads the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, he's all around BAMF and, you know, we all know and love him. Uh, we also, you know, Static Shock for, you know, all you, um, you know, millennials out there like Static Shock. Uh, he had a cartoon in, uh, I guess it was the, the aughts, I guess, technically, maybe it wasn't the 90s. So, yeah, the aughts. So uh, he was really popular. He's a black uh, comic book character. Um, and uh, also Blade, like these are all like honorable mentions, right? Uh, because they're they're people that. Uh, on a whole, your average person might know about them because, like I said, Static Shock had a cartoon when I was growing up. Jon Stewart is still very, like, het, like he's in the forefront of Green Lantern Corps um, comic series and all that stuff. So he's he's a very popular character. He was also in Justice League Unlimited and stuff like that. So people know him. Um, Blade. 
uh, I don't know if I've ever said this before, but yeah, Blade is a Marvel, uh, <laughs> Marvel owns Blade. Uh, he's a, a Marvel uh, uh, entity. And actually him and Deadpool kind of have a thing going on too, which is weird. Like they're connected as characters. So that's interesting. But yeah, Blade is also a black superhero of sorts, I guess you could say. Um, then you have people like, uh, some people will, will say, well, what about Nick Fury? Um as portrayed by Samuel Jackson, which I would have to like, you know, pull them down a little, bring it down a little and just say, uh, the Nick Fury that Samuel Jackson plays in the MCU in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is technically not black. He's white, like, and he has the eye patch and all that stuff, but um, he's also pre, like, I think in Captain Marvel, uh, you like meet him and he's, with shield but kind of not with shield i think uh that that's like part it's not his origin story but he looks really young right um the thing about nick fury nick fury as as told through the comic book is that nick fury is like from like the golden age of like comics he's from like when comics first started and he had like sidekicks like called dum dum doogad which is like uh he he it, he originally uh, showed up. Nick Fury originally showed up around the same time as um, Captain America, right? And so he also got a version of a super soldier serum, and he's lived eighty years. So uh, the Nick Fury that Samuel Jackson plays is not black; he's actually white, and that was an artistic choice um, that they made for the movie. But there is a black character by the name of Nick Fury, and he's Nick Fury Jr. and um, I kind of have issues with him because when I was like researching some um kind of not out of the way, but some lesser known black superheroes, uh, Nick Fury Jr. kind of came up in a couple articles. And a lot of people were saying that like his creation was really um, down to and this is like, I guess, paraphrase from people, the person who or people who worked on creating uh, the comic line or the story arc or whatever that he was in was that like Nick Fury Jr., was created because we needed more um, ethnic representation rather than like, you know, there's a whole story like, you know, Nick Fury is not really the kind of character or doesn't seem like the kind of character that's like out there, you know, laying all the honeys and stuff. You know what I mean? Like he's pretty focused on his job, on keeping Earth safe. You know, I'm sure he goes out and has a good time, drinks some beers and whatnot. But like there was no like backstory to how Nick Fury Jr. came to be at all, regardless of like the fact that he's black. So uh, Nick Fury Jr. is a little problematic for me, but Nick Fury Jr. is technically black. There you go. So there's some honorable mentions. So let's get into like the crux of the black superhero, black superheroes I want to talk about. So number one on my list, because I think he's very, um, I like him and I like his story is very organic to me personally. And it might seem kind of trite or it might seem kind of um, like basic or uh you know, simple, it, it makes the most simple storyline sometime or the most simple backstory is usually the one that works the best. Like the simple machine is the best machine because there are less points where it could fail or someone could find fault in it. And so Adam Bashir blew Marvel. So he originally showed up the first time he showed up in comic was 2008. And uh, I really like him because, you know, uh, the first time I heard about him was actually through uh, Comics Explained, Go Rob Core, boom, um, and when I watched the video on Comics Explained, I was like, oh, man, what? He was, like, portrayed as, like, the first superhero, which, I mean, like, he, he's, he wasn't technically, right? But the story takes place, his, his origin story takes place in the 60s. And so, you know, that's during the civil rights movement. And so Adam Bashir is um, 
with the president or whatever. I mean, he he's fighting. Okay, let's go back. So the origin story for Adam Bashir takes place um, in the 60s. Um, and that's where the story starts in the comic. But him and his backstory is that like, he went to Cornell. He's extremely intelligent. He has advanced degrees in physics and in engineering. Uh, and he played football at Cornell, obviously. And for him, um, he was a Marine and... Um, he ended up working while in the Marines. He ended up, he went to Korea and, you know, he fought in several wars. And then he ended up working on a project that had to deal with finding clean energy, clean, clean, renewable source energy. And so uh, in the process of doing that uh, experiments with that, it exploded. Wait, right. That's what always happens. Something explodes and the power washes over someone and they become a superhero. Right. That's like your like quintessential superhero origin story. Um, so for him, him and his best friend, who was also in the military, they both were um, exposed. And so for him, what it did to him was it made him a antimatter. Uh, it made him an antimatter reactor. And so uh, he uh, ended up gaining nine invincibility. He can fly. He um, manipulate matter on a molecular level. And so he's very impressive. And on top of all that, he has a... Uh, Reed Richard level of intellect. So he's incredibly intelligent. And so the story arc in the comic that uh, he first is portrayed in tells the story of how, you know, Blue Marvel, he's out here trying to fight this alien invasion. He ends up squashing it. He comes back to Earth. And in the course of having been fighting the aliens, he his suit gets ripped, right? And he has one like one of those full body like outfits, like not like Batman where like his mouth and stuff is hanging out. Like he has a full body um, um, costume, not costume. He has a full body like armor. And so his suit gets ripped. He comes back to Earth or he falls back to Earth. And the news and like people who happen to be around the area see him and they found out he's black. And they're like, what? Blue Marvel's black? Oh, my God. No. So later that day, he gets uh, an award from the president, President JFK, of course, um, the Presidential Medal of Honor. And on that same day, JFK, you know, they put the word reluctantly, but whatever. JFK asked him to stop being Blue Marvel, right? Because now that the general public has found out that Blue Marvel is black, they he doesn't want like the country, aka America, um, to kind of go up in arms because the superhero who's super powered, who can fly and has all the stuff, he's black. And right now, black people are fighting for their for their rights and he doesn't want to make the white people nervous and think that, well, well, what if Blue Marvel joins the civil rights movement? And, you know, Blue Lantern is rightfully kind of like, what? Like, I'm here to serve my country. He's like, and me joining a side in this is not going to help the country. And the president's like, I know, but you have to. So he does. He reluctantly, he gives up being Blue Marvel and he kind of fades into the background. And for me, like the story plot, just it rings so many bells because so many times it's like your acts to be less because it might offend someone else because it's it just wow reading the story i was just like mm, mm. look at this black man who like put himself out there who did what he had to do for his country both before both after and before he was a superhero he was in the military he went to war for america and it's like this is how you show your appreciation but adam Bashir, in and of himself is a very unique and interesting character um also because you know like i said he has a reed richard level of intellect and so while he did step back from being Blue Marvel, it didn't stop him from achieving great things and like, you know, going into engineering and physics projects and fixing problems for people. And ultimately, um, 
is it the Red Hulk? I believe in the Red Hulk story arc, he comes back and tries to help them um, stop, you know, catastrophe or whatever. But he comes back. He doesn't come back as Blue Marvel. He just comes to help. And he's like, well, I was asked to step down. And, you know, he's he's kind of bitter about it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he was like, I was asked to, asked to stop being a superhero. And here you guys are asking me to do it again. And he's like, well, I'm not a toy that you can put on the shelf and take off when you feel like it. Um, but he is uh, very interesting and I love him and I wish he would be in more um, story arcs. I wish he would be. He was kind of uh, a main like a main character in like one of the superhero teams for a little while. But I would love for him to like get his own uh, his own comic or for him to be put on like the Avengers or something. I would love to see more of him because I love I love Adam Shear. I think he's so cool. Um, so then on top of that, uh, just taking it back a couple decades, we have Nubia or Nubia I don't know Nubia whatever I don't even care um so Nubia for those who don't know she first appeared in 1973 and um continuities get kind of weird in comics but so pre-crisis on infinite earths um Nubia is actually uh Wonder Woman's twin sister who if you don't know origins of Wonder Woman her mother Hippolyta um, molded her from clay and then the gods brought her to life. So in the continuity, the pre-crisis continuity, Nubia was molded at the same time. She was molded from a darker clay and, and Wonder Woman or um, Diana was um, molded from lighter clay and the gods brought them to life. And then Mars, the god of war, comes and kidnaps um, Nubia and takes her with him and kind of brainwashes her um, to be in hers, on his side. Uh, and then there's a whole story arc where obviously, you know, she comes and challenges Wonder Woman and she's like, oh, and Wonder Woman saves her. She saves her from Marsism brainwashing and then they fight together. And uh, post-crisis, uh, Nubia, uh, I mean, also pre-crisis, Nubia like rules a whole community of men. And she's like very much still of the mindset of your your normal Amazon who's like men can't own women men women aren't possess possessions for men to own and like I think it's kind of weird that she rules a society of men even though she's like men don't control women right to be the only woman in a society of men seems awkward um but she also held the title of Wonder Woman before Wonder Woman got it um and in pre-crisis, they kind of changed it just so that she's just kind of another Amazon who still um, holds a lot of power and is powerful in her own right, but is um, not technically Wonder Woman's uh, sister and who was Wonder Woman, right? So they kind of took out that element of them being sisters, which I think was like very interesting. I think that's the selling point for me when I first read about Nubia. I was like, oh, Nubia is Wonder Woman's twin sister. L let me hear more about this. And also I'm like, why haven't I heard about this before? But obviously... I didn't hear about it because I'm I don't read a lot of class, classic um, comics. I read a lot of current ones. And so after, you know, post crisis, that whole history changed for her. So at the moment, she's not technically Wonder Woman's sister. But in my heart, Nubia will always be Wonder Woman's sister. Um, also, that's a trope in comics I don't get. It's like being the only child thing. You know, it's like, what? It's like... Yeah, it's weird. I think it's weird that a lot of superheroes are only children. It's very strange, right? Because if you have a kid and I guess for in a lot of comics like X-Men and stuff like that, like mutations aren't desirable in children, right? Um, but for a lot of parents, they're so proud. They're like, oh, my kid's so smart. My kid can do this. My kid can do that. And so 
It's like, why don't you have more kids? I don't know. That's that's a question for another time. Discuss. Those are just some um, black superheroes that I find uh, interesting and attractive. And also, you know, in the beginning, I started with some honorable mentions. But there's also characters like Vixen who... Uh, I guess you, you could say she's like an animal uh, superhero. Um, she kind of had a thing with Jon Stewart for a little while there in the 90s. Um, you also have Batwing, who is African, uh, of African descent. Like, he's from Africa. Uh, and uh, he kind of, you know, he grew up watching Batman. And obviously he emulated him and later uh, kind of became part of the, I wouldn't say he's part of the Bat family, but Batman acknowledges him. Um, so... If you guys want to let me know some of your favorite um, black characters, they don't have to be from Marvel or DC. I just said them because um, they get the most shine. A lot of people, are, a lot of people are reading indie or like non, you know, non mainstream comics nowadays. So if you know a character who's of black descent or who's of African descent, um, and you want to just highlight them and let me know, let everyone else know, because like I, like I said, they don't get that much shine. Um, just let me know. You can send me an email at xvhunterlee at gmail.com. You can join the Discord server uh, and talk about it. Uh, send me a, a direct message on Instagram or anything like that if you want to let me know. I would love to hear more about it because I, I am actually looking for some new comics to start reading. Um, uh, just because, yeah, I need some, some new reading material. I've read... I read a lot of books. Actually, no, I've only read two books this year, but you know, the year is young. There's still time. So uh, if you'd like, let me know. And I'll be sure to show you on the next episode of the podcast and let everyone else know about your cool um, black characters. So now I just want to take a little bit of time to talk about like black characters in creative medium. And so what's so funny is that um, recently, I know we've been talking about comics, but we're going to switch over to movies. So recently I saw a commercial for a documentary, uh, I think it's on Shudder, uh, about black people in horror. horror. It's called Black Noir. And so I am extremely interested in this genre um, because the way that uh, kind of black people are, you know, I, I wouldn't say stereotyped, but typecast, that's what it's called, are typecast in movies, especially horror movies. So everyone knows the um, stereotypical uh, situation for a black person in a movie is that they're they're the first person to die even if it doesn't make any logical sense you know it's like oh Becky went down to the river or went to the cemetery and kicked over a headstone and then Eric came to pick her up and Eric ends up dying and not Becky but also good Becky's the one who knocked over the, the tombstone how is it that indirectly he got killed you know what I mean and a lot of people a lot of times the, the real answer for me I guess I mean it's really hard to change kind of like how you do things right and I think a lot of people ignore stuff because or not ignore it they're desensitized to it because it's like that's how it's always been done and what's most frustrating about it is that it's like yeah that's how it's always been done but like how can you not see the situation for what it is you know um so for me it's always kind of like why did you even introduce this character? Like a lot of times uh, black actors are cast in these, you know, supporting roles or tertiary roles. Like they're not really characters. They're just there to fill out the cast because this is really like a revenge slasher fic. And it's really just about the main character. Um, so it doesn't really matter. But a lot of times it's like, okay, why are they the first one to die? They were, they literally, you know, even if they choose to run the opposite direction of everything that's happening, right? They're trying to get out of the situation. They still end up dying. 
you know, and for me, it's like they're just fodder. And it's just frustrating. I remember, oh, what was I watching? There's, I think there's a movie on Netflix right now called um, V Wars or something like that. And the two main characters are uh, white and black, and they're both men. Um, but there are a lot of secondary characters. So what, the main character is a doctor. Uh, he's white. And, um, you know, him and his best friend, who who's the other main character, he's black. They go up to, like, Alaska, the North Pole or something, to find some researcher. And he's dead. They can't find him. They don't know where he is. But there's, like, this weird contaminant in the air. And so they get put in containment. And they kind of get sick. But then they recover. And so after they come out of, um, what do they call it? after they come out of like seclusion to make sure that they're not contagious or whatever the black guy ends up with this vampirism thing like he needs to consume um human blood and so or just blood it doesn't have to be human should mark that it doesn't have to be human but blood in general and so one of the people who scooped them up is this really well-known black actress her name is escaping me right now um but she's part of like the cia or some you know extrajudicial like black ops like government whatever and so she's there and she's there for like one or two episodes and then she gets in a car and it explodes and I was like what was the point of that you know what I mean and you could say it furthers the like her death furthers the plot it does not right it does not further the plot at all because who the guy who ends up setting up her to get blown up is part of the same organization as her and so for me i'm like why did why did they just kill her you know what i mean also why was she not smart you know it just i just felt like they killed her for no reason and then right after they killed her i think in that same exact episode there's another person who's a part of this shady government organization or um nsa nsa-esque organization who's been working with the main character the doctor and his assistant and that guy's also black and so he ends up being a vampire but he for whatever reason in a very like what doesn't make any kind of sense kind of manner he attacks the lab assistant they've been flirting with each other right and so out of nowhere he just attacks her in the lab and then he gets shot and killed and I was like what I was like on a story standpoint that doesn't make any sense because he could have been an insider or you know a mole for the other best friend for the vampire best friend who is now considered like the Dracula, like he's considered the first, which I guess he is technically. And so he's the leader. He could have that. The guy could have been the inside, you know, mold that could have been so good for suspense and intrigue. And what they do, they killed him. And then two episodes later, the lab assistant who that very same guy who's black, who died, uh, the lab assistant dies protecting the main character, the doctor, uh, she dies protecting his son. And I'm like, okay, but why did she just die? <laughs> and, and it was just, it was so circumstantial. And mind you, the people who are constantly in danger don't die. Like, uh, you end up finding out that the main character's son uh, has, like, in order to contract the vampirism, you have to have this certain enzyme um, chain in your DNA, whatever. And so the, the, the main character's son has it. And so he ends up, he's going to end up becoming a vampire. And his mom is, you know, he, he goes to find his mom. His mom is just a normal person. She doesn't have vampires and whatever. And the shady organization goes to get the mom so that they can get the son. And the mom ex machinas herself and steals these trained agents guns 
or she, I think maybe she has her own. Maybe she has her own gun and she kills them. And I'm like, are you kidding? Are you joking right now? I was like, this white woman should be dead. And it's not even that she's white, but it's just the circumstances that where black characters end up um, dying. That's the most annoying thing ever. Or a lot of people um, like to talk about going back to horror. A lot of people talk about um, Night of the Living Dead in which the main one of the main characters um, in uh, which uh, one of the main characters, uh, Dwayne Jones, uh, ends up living to the very end of the movie, which is like unheard of for for uh, 19, um, oof, uh, which was, you know, very, really unheard of in 1968 America, right? Like black people are you know, comic relief, they're in the background, whatever, if they're in the background. And so he lives to the very end of the movie and then gets shot on all this crappy technicality. But a lot of people bring that up. And like, even to this day, that almost never happens, right? Like, black people are fodder and they're meant to die in these movies or die in the service of saving the main character who is always white, right? And so that's why movies like, I think movies like Black Panther were so successful because it wasn't a movie about playing a stereotype or archetype or anything like that. It was a movie full of black people being black people that wasn't about them being black people. They were just living their lives, which is a characterization that black people don't often get in movies. You know, either, you know, you're really, really poor and you're on drugs and your life is horrible or you're really, really rich and snobby and somehow your life is still horrible or, you know, there's no... It's just an archetype. It's not like, oh, well, black people can be serial killers and black people can be lovers and black people can be fighters and black people can be politicians and they can be drug addicts. It's not those things. It's just like you have to fit into this very specific mold and play a very specific part. And it kind of sucks. And I think it's really limiting because perspectives make, you know, variety make is the spice of life, right? Variety is the spice of life. And so when you cast a character... It, it's not so much that it's not their color that you're talking about. It's their culture that they're bringing to it. And when you do that, you just enhance it. You make it better. You make it different. You're giving people something they haven't had. And so for Black History Month, I just want to tell the creative world to uh, look past what how things usually are done. Look, look to the future. Do something different, you know. Um, don't be afraid to, to go outside the box and I think that that's kind of a stereotypical statement right like do something different um, but it's really hard I know to go against the grain or do to change habits you know we talked all about that um, in our new year new you BS podcast episode but it's true sometimes you have to step outside of what you know in order to get better and you know that's what we're all about here you know we want to gain xp we go we want to go out get experiences you know eat food go dancing you know meet new people gain you know if those experience points level up and be more be i don't want to say better but just be newer shinier versions of ourselves and you know here at xp we're all about gain that xp level up and be more you know at xp hunter we're all about doing it for the xp because if you aren't out there hunting if you're not out there doing then you're going to be in the same spot forever 
So don't forget, in the meantime, in between time, do it for the XP. Bye.